Well, like I said, we got a guest speaker tonight with us. Let's put our hands together and welcome Mr. Pete Nelson. Happy New Year. I don't think, I think I got it in the last day. Does Greg normally sit when he teaches on Wednesday nights? Okay, I'm going to stand. Good to be with you. Bring you greetings from San Clemente, California, where it's very ugly. The weather's horrible. And um, I'm here with my lovely wife, Carly, who came with me over here. So you can welcome her as well. Um, we're going to be looking here in the book of Jeremiah for this Bible study this evening. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to Jeremiah 29. It's kind of a, it's kind of a New Year's message, I guess. Um, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11, it's one of those verses that, um, I'm locked out of my iPad. Oh. Here we go. Ah, oh, there we are. Okay, good. One of those verses that everyone has, many people have, you know, a little on the wall or in a gift card that you give to someone that I know the thoughts that I have for you, the thoughts for good and not for evil, but to give you a future and a hope, and we all know that, but we're going to understand that verse this evening in context with Jeremiah's message to his people as we look at um, the verses and the context of that, where that famous verse sits in. So if you're there in Jeremiah 29, we're going to look through verses 1 through 14. And I'd like to uh, read the scripture, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into it. Does that sound like a plan? All right. Jeremiah 29, verse 1 and now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive, the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. This happened after Jeconiah the, the king and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasai, the son of Shaphan and Jemoriah, and son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, here's what the letter says, okay? Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and your daughters to, to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive, and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you. 
nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at, the, at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and, I will, and, and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the peace, to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this gathering this evening. And as we step into 2024, some of us come in weak, some of us come in excited, some of us come in with fears and worries. Some of us are dragging a bit of 2023 with us, or even years prior to that into this next year, whatever the case. Lord, we turn our hearts and our minds to you and to your word and pray that you would speak spiritual things into our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So... Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah obviously was the prophet. He was prophesying to the people of Israel before the captivity, warning them that this was going to take place. And then now they're finally been carried off into captivity. And so what we see here is a letter from Jeremiah to the leaders that were carried away with the people uh, to be read to all the people there. And it was sent... Um, from Jeremiah's pen, but notice here that Jeremiah is uh, basically invoking the name of the Lord. It's not just a letter from him wishing them well and have a nice trip, see in 70 years. He's saying, thus says the Lord, here's what you need to understand in this place that you have been driven to. So think about it. Israel never expected that things would end this way for them, that, that they would end up in Babylon. So in a very short order, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he besieged Jerusalem, and this whole idea, this whole promise of God calling Abraham and then bringing forth his people, the nation of Israel, blessing Abraham, and then from generation to generation, we have um, so much Old Testament history of how God kept his people, protected his people, provided for his people. And it was this kind of this vicious cycle that was going on with the people of God. And it's the same with many of us, that a cycle of being close to God and then forgetting about all he pulled you out of and starting to turn to other gods. And then God would send in an army to get their attention again. And they'd turn their hearts back to God and there'd be a revival. And it kind of kept going this kept going in this cycle with his people. So we've come to a point in time where God is going to discipline his people. 
And in doing so, he took them, he sent them into Babylon. And according to this letter, is it's not a bad thing. This is not a bad thing that they are in Babylon. But they were going to live in this place where they really didn't want to be for the rest of their life. They lost everything. They lost their culture. They lost their homes. They lost uh, even their names. As we read about Daniel and, his, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they lost their names and were given these Babylonian names. Their names would speak of God. Daniel, in, for example, uh, it's meant the Lord will be judged, but think of him when he was hauled off. He probably had high hopes of meeting a young Jewish girl and getting married and having kids, and now all of those dreams are dashed. And his name, he's, God, you're judge. Every time someone say my name, I'm reminded that you are just and you are the judge, but now it doesn't seem like things are looking that way. God is, doesn't seem to be setting things straight anymore. Um, in fact, it looked like his whole promise to Israel is, be, is all shattered and gone. How could God let this happen? Now think about this. This is kind of put yourself in their place. Has God forsaken them? But let's bring it home to us. What do you do when you find yourself in Babylon? In your Babylon? See, Babylon, I made a definition here. Babylon for us today, it's a picture, it's a historical fact that we're reading about. But Babylon is where you find yourself when life does not turn out the way you planned. Anyone experience that? That's where you find yourself. What do I do now? When you find yourself in a place that you never thought that you would be, the things that you planned years ago, it's a whole different story. Think about that times, you know, a thousand for the people of Israel. So as we go through this text, I want to give you three things for this coming year, three things for 24 that we're going to learn. How to, We need to listen to God. We need to bloom where we're planted. And number three, that we need to, we need to fix our hope on the right thing. So first of all, we need to listen to God. Now, this is the time of year, right? New Year's resolutions. Has anyone made a New Year's resolution? Nobody? Boy, the one person, okay. The rest of you need to make a New Year's resolution to tell the truth. So, New Year's resolutions. I mean, I, how many people that make New Year's? I'm going to lose 20 pounds, right? You, you're all excited. It's like you shoot out of a cannon. Like, I'm going to fulfill this. And then after about Valentine's Day, you're, you know, you're right back in, you know, in the chocolate bin, right? Eating all that you can. And... We have these passions. We want to make things right. You know, I, I want to lose 20 pounds passionately, but I also have the same passion for double-doubles. And they war against each other. It's a very, it, it, I'm constantly in conflict. But one resolution that we can all make, that we all should make this year, is two, 2024. And I've actually, I, this is something dear to my heart because this is what I want to do is, I want to listen to God more. Don't you think we can do that? That's something, even if you shoot out of the cannon of your resolutions and you, f- you fly down on the ground and you crash, you can still listen to God. 
that's sometimes the best places that we can listen to God because when you're flat on the ground, the only place you have to look is up, isn't it? So he's wanting his people to listen to God. How many times is he saying that? Hear me. And God says, I have sent you there. Now there were prophets now in Babylon representing God, saying that we are speaking on God's behalf, but they were false prophets. And what were they prophesying? They were prophesying we shouldn't be here, prophesying this is not part of God's plan, prophesying maybe a rebellion, prophesying all these different things. But, but in this letter, God, through Jeremiah in this letter, wanted to make sure the people knew to not listen to those prophets. And he's setting the record straight that this is all part of God's plan. Why is that important? It's important because when we find ourselves in that place we never thought we would be, and we go, how did we get here? Even if you think they made many wrong turns, right, to get there, but God's going to use it for the good. And he's saying, I have you here because I'm up to something. I'm doing something. Jeremiah was a realist. You know, there's a, there's a pessimist, right? The, the pessimist is the glass is half, always half full. And the optimist is uh, half empty. And the optimist is the glass is half full. The pessimist always feels bad for fear that he'll feel worse if things get better, right? So the pessimist, he's not a pessimist, okay? Even in the book of Lamentations, he's... Not really, he's an optimist when it comes to God, but he's a realist with his people. Now think about this. An optimist, when it comes to Jesus, you can be 100% optimist, right? What's there to gripe about when it comes to Jesus? He's beautiful, he's amazing, he's awesome, he's perfect. A pessimist, though, when it comes to the world, you can be 100% pessimist pessimistic when it comes to this, right? It's just falling apart by the scenes. It's just the way it is. When it comes to our lives, we can take note from Jeremiah here and the tone of it is that we need to be a realist about what's going on. How did they get there? How did they get into Babylon? It's quite interesting that there's a reason that they were hauled off into captivity for 70 years, and you'd think it was all the idolatry, even though that was bad, intermarrying, even though that was bad, even not taking care of the poor, even though that is bad, all kinds of lewd uh, 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 you know, business deals and things going, even though that's bad. But Jeremiah in chapter 25 actually says that they're going into captivity to fulfill the word of the Lord in chapter 25 for this very reason, and he describes it there, he says that because you have not obeyed the Sabbath year. Isn't that interesting? That's what it was all pinned on. Now what's the Sabbath year? Well, we have a Sabbath day every seventh day, right? day of rest, Jesus said, uh, or, or God said, um, on, the, on the seventh day, you'll rest, and God rested, right? And my people will rest on the, on the seventh day. But also his people had a Sabbath year. That means after six years, you get a year off. How many want that as your New Year's resolution? Me, right? Every six years, you take a year off, and you let the, the, the fields um, go fallow, you give them a rest because they're going to bear. They're going to be. It's going to be healthier for the, for the crops if you do that. And then they had every fifty years they had a thing called the year of jubilee. Right, that means all of your debts are canceled. Woohoo! 
right? Everything is set back straight. You know, this was part of how God wanted his people to operate as a society. But what happened is six years old around and Farmer John over here, or Farmer Jonah over here, he said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work this next year. I'm going to get one up on everyone else and get that much more money. And this started integrating the, the culture of the day, the very agrarian culture. And pretty soon everyone's doing it because they're trying to stay ahead. Sound familiar? The kind of they've begun to get into the rat race. And God wanted, to, wanted them to understand his amazing provision in their life that they could take a year off and God would even bless them more and more and more. They wanted to take matters in their own hands and thought they'd get one up. And so they failed for 490 years, exactly, to, to um, observe the Sabbath year. Well, what's 70 days, right? It's one year, one year to the four, 490 days. 70 days out of the 490 to be disciplined by the Lord. Now, discipline is different than punishment. Punishment is, you know, someone doesn't like you, they punish you, you're an enemy, they're interrogating you, but a discip- when you're disciplined, it means that the Father loves you. So Jeremiah is saying here, let them know you were carried away captive, verse 4. I have caused to be, I, I, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. God is all in this because he loves his people. He's disciplining his people. There's times in our life God disciplines us because we, he loves us and he wants, he, if, we, if we're not disciplined, we're going to wreck our own lives and everyone else's around us, you see. Notice down here in verse 14 where we ended up the text. He said, I will be found in you, says the Lord. I will bring you back to captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which... I cause you to be carried away by captive. There's, there's something about that verse. It, it, that verse speaks of complete and total restoration of all of life's dimensions are going to take place after this period of 70 years. And they're going to go through this because God wants to restore them. He wants to redeem them. He wants to, if he just, he wouldn't be loving if he just let his children and his people run off in a direction that he knew would ultimately harm them. So he disciplines us because he loves us and he wants us to experience the fullness of life in him. So he says, listen. Listen to me. Don't listen to the false prophets. Listen to me and what I'm saying. And this is what I'm saying. I know the thoughts I have for you. But you need to go through this time. And this is the time to listen to me more than any other time in your life. Because when we go through, when there are places we never thought we'd be, that we expected to be, right? We're in a situation, right? It's futile to listen to yourself, right? You, you lack any objectivity. You can't listen to yourself. 
um, you know, you might listen to your spouse, right? But they're usually kind of, you know, ticked off at you, right? You got in this, you're in this predicament, or they're struggling with it, or your friends. We can listen to all these friends, but definitely don't listen to the false prophets, right? That are contradicting the word of the Lord. See, false prophets are saying that they'd be home too, and they were denying reality, where Jeremiah is helping them to face reality in their life. Big difference. 2024, we have to face reality. What's reality for you? A lot of people deny reality. They check out. They numb themselves out. They just get away from reality. God gives us. Jeremiah is saying, uh, God through Jeremiah is saying in this letter, I am giving you the the means in which you can face this hard season in your life. And I'm going to be with you. And there's going to be something really good that's going to come out of it. But you have to trust me. You have to listen to me, you see. I think of Jesus on this point. When he was in Gethsemane, right, just hours before he'd be crucified, in this garden of Gethsemane, and he's like, Lord, if there's any other way. He knew what he was going to face. Much worse than Babylon, any place. He was going to be on the place of the skull. He's going to be on the cross. And he was so stressed out about facing that. And he was actually sweating blood. His capillaries burst. and I mean, incredible time of stress, knowing what he was going to face. And... He said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That's the best way to listen to God. Sometimes it takes me a period of time in the morning or a period of time at night. I've, because my head races, I've got so much on my mind, um, things I need to do, things that I've done, things, and, and it, it can overtake you, your whole life. And you need to just spend time listening to God and saying, okay, I can't control that situation. And not my will, but your will be done. You can, and I just say that a lot of times just to myself. It's not about what I want to see happen in this. It's about what you want to do in this situation. It's about what you want to do in my heart. It's what you want to do. And it's not just a simple prayer, or not my will, your will. For me, it takes me a period of time to get past the noise, to get past my own emotions and my own perspectives on things, to get to that place of letting it go and letting God take that burden of whatever it is, that situation. That's a beautiful time that you can have as you go into this coming year, listening to God. Okay, second point from this text. So we listen to God. Secondly, we bloom where we're planted. What does he say? Go to Babylon, hang your heads low, find a hole and crawl into it, wear sackcloth and ashes. No, he says, no, I want you to go there. This is part of my plan. I want you to plant gardens. I want you to uh, build houses. I want you to... 
the young woman and the young guy love each other, want them to get married and make babies, and then, and then your sons and daughters can make more babies. I want you to enjoy the fullness of the life experience, even in Babylon. And then he says here, and seek the peace of the city, verse 7, where I have caused you to carry away, to be carried away captive, and pray for the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. Bloom where you're planted. Are you in a Babylon? You never thought you'd be there? Instead of um, griping about where you're at, instead of future tripping of where you want to be, but the reality is, is you're right here, right now. God is sovereign in your life, and he's put you there in this situation. It's not ideal, but it's where God has placed you. And he says to his people, bloom where you're planted. Plant gardens. Live your life. And then seek the peace and pray for the peace of whatever community God has planted you. Small community like an office or like a school or like a neighborhood, larger community like the city of Redlands, even larger community. Of, uh, you know, you, we, 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 we tend to take the ills of society and want to talk about them to death over a cup of coffee, right? And how we would, if we were given the, the keys, we could change the world, right? And Jeremiah, God through Jeremiah, I have to keep reminding myself, God through Jeremiah is saying in this letter, I want you to just cultivate your own family life. And I want you to bloom where you're planted. And I want you to seek the peace because when you seek the peace of this place, you will find peace. You'll find peace in your heart. I think this is so important for us to understand in this day and age because there is plenty to gripe about. Um, he wants them to do justice, to show mercy, to live righteously. Now, now the prophets, interestingly enough, all the prophets now I'm talking about, not just Jeremiah, when they would prophesy, a lot of people think they would just prophesy about the future, what's going to come and take place. They're prophesying, right? And many of them did, Daniel and even Jeremiah, a lot of his prophecies were filled through Christ and they were speaking of the future and certainly that's a part of prophecy. But most of the prophecies were addressed to the people of God addressing the ills of society at the day. Because just like any society that gets their eyes off of God and onto man, they were robbing one another. They were, they were developing these, these class systems that was ignoring the poor, those who were disenfranchised, that they were um, uh, not paying attention for God, to God's heart with his people. And this is a lot of what the prophets were speaking about. Here's what you're doing with your money. Here's what you're doing with your time. Here's what you're doing with your families. Here's what you're doing. And he, and he laid it out for his people and calling them back to repentance so often. There, there's a term in Hebrew that appears throughout the Old Testament. It's called mishpat sadikah. You're saying, what is that? It simply means um, justice and righteousness. Justice meaning it's doing the right thing no matter what's going on, no matter the situation, and living righteously before God. Now, when we break that, you know, even James talks about if you have a religion, he's saying if what true religion is taking care of the widows, 
and the orphans. It, that's like doing justice, taking care of people that can't take care of themselves. And this is what God wanted for his people because he was so benevolent with his people, right? They didn't deserve, we don't deserve it. But God pours upon us grace after grace, blessing after blessing, mercy after mercy. He just keeps giving, giving, giving because he wants to cultivate a people that represent him and are like him to one another. That the same giving God that gives to us, that we become like him and we're giving to everyone around us. That's what brings the joy to the heart of the Father. That's what he wanted for his people, as a, that his people would be a sanctuary for all others who are hurting and who are in need. They could be a part of this community of God's people because it was ruled by justice. It was ruled by mercy. It was ruled by humility and love, you see. That's what God wants for his people. I think of Micah 5.2. He said, this one thing, he has shown me, oh man, this one thing I've required of you. One thing. We sang a song earlier. One thing. One thing. To do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly. Do justice. Is there something wrong over here? Do the right thing. Right? How, do whatever... Bring justice into this crooked world. Love mercy. Mercy is the extension of God's love and his benevolence to others. Show them mercy when they've, they've cut you off. Yeah, they've cut you off on the 10. I know it happens every, every day, but just let them have it. You're probably going to beat them there anyway somehow. Show mercy to one another. Who has wronged you in 2023? Show mercy and walk humbly. You know, I like what C.S. Lewis says. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. You see, humility is not, oh, I'm no good. I'm not going to amount to anything. I'm just going to, you know, be quiet, be over here in the corner. That's actually not human. That's actually another form of pride because it's kind of still about you, you know. Humility is knowing who you really are in Christ. When you know who you are and it's not about you, is incredibly powerful in our age to live a life that it's not about me, me, me. It's about others and helping others. And it's such a disarming disposition to have in this cynical world, isn't it? To walk humbly before the Lord. To do justice, Jesus said it in pictures like this. He's saying, they're saying, should we pay taxes, right? We're God's people. Shouldn't we bring up all of our money to the temple? And he said, give me a coin. Looked on it. The picture of Caesar. He's like, who's on the coin? That's Caesar. It's not mine. Give to Caesar. What's Caesar's? What do I have to do with that? Or a soldier could, a Roman soldier could walk up and say, oh, I'm tired. Hey, carry my backpack for a mile. I need a break. And you'd have to, by law, carry that. He's saying, carry it two miles. Carry it two miles. Going that extra distance to transform society with the heart of God. Bring peace so that you'll have 
peace bloom where you're planted. And number three, so we listen to God, we bloom where we're planted, and then it brings us to we fix our hope as if something was broken. And it was. God's people was broken. That's why they're being disciplined by God. They put their hope in their wrong things. They put their hope in themselves. They put their hope in um, false gods. They put their hope in any, anything but God. But he's saying here that, verse 11. Well, let's go back up to 10, I want to. For, for thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed. So there's going to be an end to this thing, Right? That's encouraging. At Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. So you're going to come back. I'm going to bring you back. This is all my plan. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then you're going to call upon me. You're going to pray, and I'm going to listen to you. And I'm going to... Be there for, you're going to search for me. You're going to find me. Because God is saying, you know the secret to your life? It's not really a secret, but the, the, uh, the most important thing to your life is him. We don't worship God because he needs a little attaboy, a little pat on the back. God, you're so great. You're so awesome. You're so gracious. Ah, oh, thanks, you know. That's not why we worship we worship. We were created to worship God. We were created as worshipful beings. Everyone worships something. And then we worship God because we need it. We become our best selves when we're worshiping God, when we're lifting him up as something bigger than ourselves, something bigger than our problems, something bigger than anything else, something bigger than the news cycle, something bigger than everything else. We lift him up above all things. We lift him up, and you know what happens to us? We're changed. God knows we need that because he created us. And he's like, you need to just worship me. Get your eyes off of yourself. Eyes off of this problem, eyes off this, get your eyes on me, fix your hope on me. And you know what happens in that process? We're transformed. We're changed because we're, we're, we're stepping into who God has created us to be. And what that takes is a real understanding and discipline on our hearts to live life in the moment to worship him in the moment. See, there in Babylon, he's saying, here's what I want you to do in the moment. I don't want you to look to the future or regret the past. You can't change the past, and you don't know what the future holds. He says, I know what the future holds. My thoughts are for good and not for evil. So you let me take care of that, and you just rest today in the fact that I hold the future in my hand, and I... And God can take our past and completely cast it as far as the east is from the west. Don't let the past keep you in bondage. Don't let the future keep you in bondage. Because so often when we don't live today, we allow the past and the future to dominate our lives. We either live in regret or we live in fear. If you've got your... Uh, if you're fixated with the past, you're thinking about what you could have said differently, what you could have done differently. Uh, if that didn't happen, then things wouldn't turn out this way. Think about God's people. 
you know, man, why did you plant on the Sabbath year? It's all your fault, right? And he's like, there's no time for that name call, you know, pointing the finger. You're all guilty, okay? And this is a part of your collective past. And so I'm doing something, and I'm not thinking about the past. I'm thinking about the future to give you. These are my thoughts about the future for you, not the past, to give you a future and a hope. Don't tell me my thoughts, God says. These are my thoughts that I have towards you, to give you a future. And some of us can't move forward because we got all this junk in the past. Do you need to make amends with somebody? Do you need to forgive somebody? Do you need to make something right with somebody? Do you need to make that, that mistake? Do you need to just put it under the blood of Christ and let it go? Because you can't truly live in today until you deal with that stuff. And you can't live in today if you're thinking. So regret from the past. But if you're living in the future, a lot of times you're living in fear. What if this happens? What if we lose our house? What if I don't get that job? What if she's going to leave me? What if he's going to leave me? We have all these scenarios. You know what? Most of the time they don't happen, right? The things that we fear about, we're scared about. But when we're in the future, we play all these mind games. Keeps us from sleeping at night. Keeps us from enjoying life today. It keeps us from enjoying our, our spouses or our children or our parents or our friends. Because we're always thinking about something that's going to come. It brings me back to that same prayer. Not my will, but your will be done. Right now, today. I can't control the future, but God, you have the future in your hands. And you're telling me here that you're thinking, what you're thinking about is to give me a future and a hope. For them, it was 70 years, I don't know. It was a whole generation. But the point is, he's got something good in store. And he wants them to experience, he wants the society to develop within Babylon, you see. So I've found that, um, I used to think life was kind of like peaks and valleys, right? Ooh, now I'm on a mountain peak. This has worked out. This is happening. woo You know, I'm such in a good space. And then there's another mountain peak. And so, oh, I'm going to have to go through the valley, get the other mountain peak. And life is this mountain peak and valley. No, here's what it is. I'm kind of old. Here's what it is. Every single day, any given 24-hour period, there are mountain peaks and valleys at the same time in my life. There's something to pray about, and there's something to be joyful about in every day. And that is just part of the life experience. We don't have to be on that roller coaster when we fix our hope on God. Regret from the past, unforgiveness from the past, fear for the future, worry for the future puts us on a roller coaster. Now, how many people, you either like roller coasters, or you, now how many people like roller coasters? Okay, I, my hand's up for that. How many people hate roller coasters? See? That's right. Have you ever tried to take someone on a roller coaster that didn't want, that hates roller coasters? Did they want to punch you right after? Yeah? 
Yeah, huh? I've been there. That's right. It was the worst experience of your life. It was the best experience of yours, right? Because you loved that roller coaster. And when we're not um, grounded in that living today, in that disposition of fixing our hope on Him, not my will, but your will be done, we become that roller coaster. And the bad thing, we have to ride on it. But then we have to make everyone around us ride on that. And let me tell you, there's people in your life that do not, do not want to ride on your roller coaster. They're tired of it. Okay? And so how to remedy that is stop allowing circumstances to dictate your life. They are what they are. Not my will, but your will be done. Lord, you work this out. You deal with it. It's not going to change one outcome if I'm going to worry about it. I'm going to give it to you. And because you love me, you're going to take care of it. Give me the strength I need to walk through this season, whatever it is. And he's going to give you the strength, right? We need to fix our eyes on him. I love in Ephesians to this point, Ephesians chapter 1. The whole chapter one's amazing. Maybe I encourage you maybe this week, go read it. Because the Apostle Paul is describing our identity in Christ. He actually says, like, this is who you really are. This is who you are, okay? And it goes through a whole litany of amazing blessings of who we are in Christ. But to this point, it says in verse 11, this point on hope. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. That word hope there is an interesting Greek word. It means a guarantee. Usually we're thinking, man, I hope that works out. We're not sure, but we hope it works out. We hope that doesn't happen, right? We're not sure, but we hope that that doesn't happen. I hope that doesn't happen, right? But our hope in Christ, it's a guarantee. It's a fixed thing. It's settled. Our hope is in something that's unchanging. It's like a guarantee. That's where our hope should be. God says, I know my thoughts. This is what God is thinking. And he wants us to put his hope in him. It'll stabilize, it'll bring health into our life and into our family's life. We don't know what the interest rates are going to be next year. We don't know if you're going to get that promotion next year. You know, we don't know what's going to happen. But we do know that God has it all under control. And we do know, I hope you know, that God loves you. He loves you. He's in love with you. And if you ever forget about how much God loves you, just think about the cross. He says, I love you this much as he gave his life just for you. That's how much worth you have to God, that he would get everything just for you. He loves you, and we put our hope in him. That's that le this letter. God, it's a love letter from God to his people in Babylon, in a place they never thought that they would be, in a place they had every reason to live a life of regret, every reason to live a life of worry and fear about the future. Every reason. But he says, no. No, no, no. I want you to enjoy life. 
I want you to learn how to enjoy it in that place. I want you to prosper. I want you to um, uh, put your hope in me knowing that I know the end game. I'll finish the story, right? The story's still being written about you guys. And so something good. I, You know, I, sometimes when I quote this scripture, it's kind of cliche, but I think it works perfect. Well, it's the Bible. How could the Bible be cliche, right? It can't. But Romans 8, 28, right? The, the, the Bible says that um, God works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, right? God works everything for the good for those who are the called according to his purpose, okay? Ephesians says we're called. God's saying to his people, you're called according to his purpose. Right now, my purpose is to have you in Babylon. These are all part of my purposes. But all these things, I'm working out for the good. Now, my wife makes... My, my fav- one of my favorite things, she's an amazing cook, amazing, like, wah! And, uh, but she makes these addictive, I don't know if she puts crack in them or what, but uh, they're these rice cakes, and, um, and they're so good. And she puts, you know, rice, of course, obviously, and some nuts and other things. Now, if you take all those ingredients, you know, in and of themselves, an egg or flour or whatever she puts in there and you individually consume those ingredients probably not too good like a raw I mean anyone do raw eggs rocky you know Balboa style whatever um, you know the ingredients are not that good the sugar is good right by itself some are sweet some are sour some but they all serve their purpose so she puts them every ingredient into proper proportions into her rice cakes, and that she cooks them for just the right amount of time, and what comes out is good, really good, right? And that's what God's doing in our lives. He's taking the, the sugar stuff and the not-so-sugar stuff, all the, all the good things and hard things, difficult things in your life, and he's putting it all together for something good. And only God can do that. He's working that out because he's saving us. From what? He was saving his people. Babylon was seen as this captivity, this awful thing, this dungeon, you know. But he's saying, no, I'm actually saving you from yourselves. That's what I'm doing. And that's what God is doing in our lives. We have to maybe think a little differently about trials, difficult things. Perhaps God's using that to save you from something else. Save us from ourselves. I think of my daughter who, she was little. I think she was three, four or something. And she fell down in our driveway. We had some gravel, an area in our driveway that was all gravelly. She fell down and she came in screaming. And if you've heard my daughter scream, ooh-wee, um, yeah, she could, they could prop her up on an ambulance. She'd clear all the traffic. But um, she's screaming, and she had fell, fallen down, and she gashed her, um, her knee really bad. And there was gravel pieces embedded in her skin. Yeah. So we had, she's just screaming, and we had to get 
these gravels out of her skin. So we got the peroxide and everything, and she didn't, she didn't want to have anything to do with it, right? So we're trying to get it out, and she was kicking us and doing everything. And then I had to hold her down to get the gravel. I had to pin her down. This little child, beautiful, little, cute, little daughter. Pin her down, and she's screaming. Because if I didn't get the gravel out, her knee would get gangrene, and we'd have to cut it off, you see. So... So I had to get this gravel out, and, and I finally got it out, and she cried out from the top of her voice, Daddy, save me! I was. I was saving her. Not from what she wanted to be saved from, but what she needed to be saved from, you see. God is saving us. Jesus rode in on a donkey into Jerusalem. They're singing hosannas and praising him. And he's crying. He's weeping. And he's saying, if you only knew, if you only knew what I'm going to accomplish for you. And he had so much compassion for his people. Because he was, why was he crying? Because they were thinking he's going to save them from the Roman Empire and come and kick some Roman tail and Set up the, you know, get, you know, just set up the kingdom right there. But no, he was coming to save them from their greatest enemy, and that was their sin. He's coming into Jerusalem to go to the cross. And he's weeping because he was saving them, not from what they wanted to be saved from, the oppression of the Romans. He was saving them from what they needed to be saved from, their greatest enemy, which is themselves and their own sin. And he came in weeping to go to that cross. And God, here in Jeremiah, he's saying, not only am I going to bring you back to Jerusalem, you read about that in Nehemiah, right, Ezra? And um, they come back and they, they have a revival. They rebuild the city, right? Um, and then Malachi was a contemporary of of uh, Nehemiah, he was the prophet of the time, and he would prophesy, and then the Old Testament, that's kind of it. And 400 years go by, so they, the temple is rebuilt, the city of Jerusalem is rebuilt according to the word of the Lord, and then all of a sudden there's 400 years of no prophets until John the Baptist, that prophet that would pave the way for the Messiah to come through. And the ultimate message of Nehemiah in this, he's pointing to Jesus. I am doing something. I have to preserve you because from you, my people, I'm going to bring forth the Messiah that will save the world from all of their Babylons. You're going into this Babylon because you're my people and I have tasked you with bringing bringing the Messiah through your lineage into this world. And that's my plan. I know the thoughts. I'm seeing the big picture here. And this is just a small little blip, a part of the big picture, to bring forth the Messiah, the coming Messiah, who's going to live a perfect life, never commit one sin, walk with the Father in perfection, 
And then, with a sinless perfection, going to go to the cross and become sin for us on the cross, that we might be righteousness unto him. He's going to pay the penalty for our sin. He's going to absorb the sin of the entire world, past, present, and future, within himself to be that perfect sacrifice so that now we can have a real relationship with God, removing the only barrier that we have from God, and that is our sin. And God sent his son to remove that barrier because he wants you to know him and walk with him and hear him. That's what he wants. He wants to be with you. He wants to he, he wants you to be consumed with him because he's so amazing. You can never get to the depths, the bottom of his, of his love and his grace and who he is. That's what God wants for you in this coming year and every year after that. The coming Messiah to give the ultimate rest, to give the ultimate hope, to give the ultimate restoration for our lives and bring us to the ultimate home, which is with him forever and ever. Amen. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this incredible letter that as Jeremiah sat and penned it, and you spoke through him on a piece of paper to encourage your people. And Lord, tonight we're encouraged we're both challenged and encouraged at the same time. And so, Lord, I pray, help us. I pray, Lord, remove the obstacles that keep us from hearing you. Lord, help us see the, the tattered world around us differently of how we can bring justice to an unjust world. And Lord, I pray that as you are high and lifted up, Lord, that we would take our hope off of changing things and onto the, the unchanging God of who you are. And we praise you, Lord. We thank you for all you've done, all that you're doing, and all that you yet to do because your thoughts for us are for good for peace for peace and not for evil to give us a future and a hope thank you Lord in Jesus name and everyone who agreed said Amen